Welcome, everyone, to another DevCast. I'm your host, Adam D'Angelo, joined by my co-host, John Janik. How are you, John? Hey, good, Adam. How are you? I'm doing really well. Um, I know you're as excited as I am to have Josh on the DevCast with us today. He's a director of AIML here at Dev Technology with us. How are you doing, Josh? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, I know we were chatting a little bit before we started recording. And you know, you've done some really fascinating work talking about structured unstructured data um, in the federal space. And just kind of want to let you talk a little bit about your past experience and uh, see where we go. Sure, sounds good. Yeah, I have a reasonable amount of experience in uh, in knowledge representation, dating back to when AI was essentially first order logic and Prolog and Lisp and those kinds of things have a good, good amount of, of understanding of, of different structures that have been set up around the world and certainly within uh, within the U.S. government to what's called control vocabulary to sort of uh, describe the world in a way that can be predictably uh, used by by folks that don't necessarily you know aren't in the same room together talking with each other in natural language like we are but that need to. Uh, have a common understanding of of different uh, topics that that their organization or their industry or, or whatever uh, might might need to um, uh, might need to be able to agree on. So, are you talking about like a formal domain language? Yeah, yeah. So, control vocabularies exist in in lots of different fashions. You know, the sort of oldest versions would be. Uh, things used to organize libraries, you know, things where different librarians have to come to the same conclusion about where to put a book on a shelf. Um, so Dewey Decimal System, Library of Congress, that kind of stuff. Those aren't very specialized, you know, they're just what do people write books about. But then very quickly, different more vertical industries and, and vertical groups of people responsible for things, you know, had to had to come up with similar sorts of structures uh, to sort of prescribe the language that was uh, that was being used about them. Um, NASA has a very large technical thesaurus, about 18,000 terms, about 160,000 relationships between those terms um, to very clearly identify, you know, how research writers and uh, program managers, et cetera, uh, should refer to and talk about uh, the technical aspects of their work because it, it moves fast and it and there are lots of ways of describing essentially the same thing. Um, so having that consistent uh, point of view is, is very important. You know, Josh, I remember at one point in my career, there were two engineers having a conversation. One had a Mac background and the other had a had a Unix background, and they're both talking about T TCL, right? So TCL and Unix, and TCL and, and the old Apple uh, ecosystem were just two completely different things. One was like a C compiler, and TCL on Unix is a, it's a print description language, I think, or something like that. And it was really funny because they were having this conversation around TCL and having this vehement argument, right? And uh, and it was really it was really kind of interesting to me because these were two people using the same terms to describe entirely different things and they were passionately engaged in this conversation because they both were absolutely adamant that they were right in their in their perspectives and i think what's interesting is that one of the reasons why we create these language structures is to help avoid scenarios like that right yeah, absolutely. And and it's hard enough when, you know, the other person's in the same room with you or having a chat communication, you know, concurrently. But when you consider that this has to be consistent across time, some NASA researcher uh, from the 80s who was doing something in, you know, reentry vehicles um, needed to be able to describe what they were doing in terms that somebody today could read back and 
if they didn't understand the particular three-letter acronym or you know whatever it was uh, that was being referred to, could at least look at this controlled vocabulary, this thesaurus of terms, and understand, oh, well, in the 80s, you know, this is what uh, what was being talked about at that time, um, and so, you know, kind of get get uh, that that context even without being you know able to argue about it uh, in uh, in the same room. Also, very important for things like message routing. Uh, you know, State Department has this uh, system of tags and terms that when you want to include something in a uh, in a message, uh, you need a, a four letter code uh, that goes with it. But that four letter code is corresponding to you know real. English language terms that that uh, that you want to talk about, and when it's in a specific area like like state or NASA, the vocabulary is going to reflect that. And and I, I know that from just doing doing a little bit of research on this, you know, about one to two percent of the terms uh, in the State Department tags mention the word treaty. Uh, that's a huge percentage, right? I mean, if you just took regular language from, you know, the newspaper or whatever, two uh, percent of it wasn't isn't about treaty, you know, and and so it's very important to be able to also develop and 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 understand a, a topic area that's important to your language, that you, your department. The facets of a controlled vocabulary that make it interesting are that it is prescriptive, that it says you need to use this term to mean this thing. But also that it is somewhat structured, that it has this notion of going from a, a broad general view of the world down to specific and more narrow views of the world and, and views of, of topics. Um, and, and that really helps us to you know, make those, those navigations where you, you may have the same three-letter acronym standing for multiple things, but because of the structure of the vocabulary, you can quickly orient yourself uh, to, you know, to what's being talked about. So this is interesting. I mean, we're talking about concepts that now have existed for over 40 years, right? Why are we talking about it today, Josh? What is what is the, the relevance of kind of these domain-specific languages or the ability to make sure that we are communicating around the same sets of concepts and uh, language standards as it applies to some of our technology goals here? Right. So, yeah, that that set of technologies I'd mentioned at, at the beginning of the DevCast reflects uh, an approach to structured information and data analytics with text that uh, was was rooted very much in in that world of, of decidable first order logic kinds of approaches to automated indexing, automated retrieval. Um, that was true 40 years ago, and people were definitely talking about those things. Uh, Shannon information theory is even older than that, you know, of, of understanding how to exploit automation and, and computer power uh, to employ some of these vocabularies to do some of the, the the goals of the original librarians you know who invented them first so this notion of um, retrieval and document classification and message routing these were definitely first attempts you know at getting structure in place that would allow us to do those things and so that really is why it's interesting to see you know these artifacts um, have uh, continued uh, relevance today in in terms of policies and ways that that people need to behave. Um, the United uh, Unified Medical Language System, the UMLS, you know, is is still the standard that's used for insurance coding and and medical coding, talking between you know different health organizations, both regulatory but also providers and and insurers. And you know, it was set up very much on the principles that we've been talking about in terms of, of controlled vocabulary. So these they're these massive constructs that have a lot of momentum and 
if we want to start applying more modern approaches to AI and ML to do things like information retrieval and document classification, oftentimes we need to do that in the context of these controlled vocabularies, of these sets of, of terms and such that, um, th that are prescribed and, and that are, in fact, the, the, the keys to making things work uh, in a lot of systems that, that already exist. So really what, you know, what I've been looking at lately is, okay, how can we take some of modern AI approaches to dealing with some of these uh, uh, more historic, if you will, you know, sorts of, uh, of constructs? And that's, that's really interesting, Josh, because what you're talking about is for, for decades, professional bodies have created public vocabularies that define their professions, right? Scientists, medical professionals, lawyers, you know, and not just in government, right? But but commercially too. And now what you're saying is that we have technology that can allow us to more quickly and easily bridge that between the professionals and folks who may not have that domain expertise so that we can use words that we're familiar with and have it bridged into that domain set. Is that is that right? I mean, is that where we're at? Yeah, that's where that's definitely where we're trying to go. The the use cases for these these vocabularies, you're you're absolutely right. They're in the hands of professionals and specialists and and the application of these categories to information or objects or messages that come through, you know, an organization is really the domain of well-trained uh, people, you know, to do this this work. And there have been lots of approaches uh, to uh, attempt to, you know, automate some of these things. But today we have access to a combination of, you know, advances in uh, AI techniques uh, like like neural networks, um, as well as advances in the availability of, of massive computing uh, to take advantage uh, of, of large amounts of information for both training and, and uh, modeling. So we, we have a good chance now of putting sort of the layperson in front of uh, these controlled vocabularies and allowing them to interact with them uh, fairly naturally uh, if that that interaction is buffered by an AI that's been been trained appropriately. So yeah, that that's that's definitely is it, you know, which insurance code do I need to look up to find out, you know, how I should uh, apply this to this, you know, uh, health document or is it, you know, where should I look uh, within uh, the defense technical information, you know, uh, uh, library for you know, research about the topic I'm interested in, and I know how to express the topic I'm interested in, but I don't necessarily know how the thesaurus treats that topic, and the thesaurus is, you know, quite intimidating. So it, it is, um, I think, definitely within our grasp of of making the bridge between uh, that sort of lay use of language and and also another you know, sort of drawback of controlled vocabularies is no matter how arduous you, you, you make the, the update task, natural language always progresses faster than any controlled vocabulary. So there's always going to be new ways of saying things, new things that are talked about that are going to be lagging in any of these these vocabularies. Uh, the, the NASA vocabulary that I, you know, mentioned before hasn't really been updated since 2012. Well, there's an awful lot of information that's come out since 2012 that you might want to be able to connect to uh, a NASA category, and it's not going to work, you know, just looking up keywords. That's fascinating. I, you know, so we've talked a little bit about this being in commercial context too, right? So, so being able to bridge in 
you know, let's talk a little bit about what the ramifications that are. So tourism and uh, hoteling, right? So let's talk about like hoteling. I'm assuming there's some body of knowledge, I'm pretty sure there is, around, you know, room sizes and what's a suite and what's a deluxe room, blah, 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 right? So where do we really start seeing the benefits of being able to bridge those those vocabulary, those domain vocabularies to common vocabularies? Is it to take somebody who's new to the organization and on-ramp them faster? Is it a way to create interaction points where somebody without domain expertise can gain access to domain expertise without a high burden of, of, of knowledge transfer? You know, I guess walk us through a little bit about what's the, what's the actual impact you know, and this this kind of thing has been going on in some of these commercial industries, right? So maybe starting with what have what have you seen on that side of the fence, and then and then talking about right, we know that the government has a lot of these same problems, but we're not seeing quite the same engagement, right? So maybe maybe just generally kind of what you've seen and and why this is of interest to you in, in a government context very broadly. Sure. Yeah. I, I think that industry has been very ambitious in building out AI technologies that allow you to move from individual thing to individual thing. So individual hotels in, in a geographical area or individual products within uh, sort of a, a category of products. Um, so with recommender systems, for instance, or with, you know, uh, sort of automated planning of, of a trip or an event or whatever, where you're, you're picking from lists of, of very specific things uh, and, and making, you know, connections between that. What I find, and, and those recommendation systems, et cetera, are very successful. Uh, you know, obviously there's there's been a whole bunch of work in, in those things. Um, what I found in those scenarios, however, is that the overall structure of the vocabulary associated with those things like Netflix movies or uh, Amazon products, you know, there are categories of products, but the structure is extremely limited. It's extremely, you know, one or two levels, um, not very much effort put into uh, sort of uh, descriptive relationships between categories and, and how that, you know, they, they, they kind of structure themselves out compared with these more um, well, vocabulary-oriented, you know, uh, processes and and uh, and structures, uh, and and you know the reasons for that are, are various. But um, I think when you're when you can be so successful connecting people across uh, very individual specific items like different camera models or different movies or whatever, um, the need for that upper level of structure isn't really there as much. Uh, and so I think what we have an opportunity for is is to use um, some of the the modern AI technologies that I've, I've kind of obliquely referenced them, but I'm thinking about word embeddings and and natural language modeling specifically to make a connection between that that rather flat world of you know lots of individual different things that are maybe connected to each other by an algorithm uh, to that much more structured world where things are connected to each other by definite categories and definite places uh, within within a structure. You know, Adam, I don't know if you've got any thoughts about this, but obviously it's really fascinating to me because, you know, Josh, you used the 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 Library of Congress kind of definition, right? And obviously Dewey Decimal is part of that, but wouldn't it be fascinating to explore the Library of Congress from a professional domain perspective as well, right? Where we could say, 
I, you know, I want to learn about reentry vehicles, right. Or something like that. And, and then have it say, okay, well, you know, yes, Dewey Dust will tell you where to find, you know, rocketeering books to learn about reentry vehicles, but here's all of the other fiction areas in, in this area and nonfiction and fiction. And these are the domain conversations that are happening around that based on your interest in, oh, by the way, maybe here are some affiliated um, spaces, right? So it's interesting in that, in that these kinds of discussions go, Josh, and I think this is probably kind of useful to talk about too, they go well beyond just pure keyword searches, right? So in a library today, you walk in, you type in re-entry vehicles, not to, not to pick on NASA, but you started it, right? So, you know, <laughs> we, we, can, we can put that into a library computer and it's gonna tell us all of the specific matches and then it's gonna tell us all of the peripheral matches. But when we start bringing AI and ML into the scene, we can start using that morphology in order to understand that like, oh, you know, this word is also related to these five other words that are related to these other five professional domains of interest. You might have an expanded world of things to look at, right? Yeah, it definitely, definitely can do that. And, and in, uh, you know, a search use case, um, it's probably, you know, one of the, the most difficult to account for with a, with a, strictly controlled vocabulary, you know, uh, perspective at NASA's, you know, to continue the, the discussion with them. Um, digital cameras is a category in the NASA thesaurus because in 2012 there was such a thing as digital cameras. Um, there wasn't such a thing as a DSLR camera or a bridge camera or a mirrorless camera at that time. Uh, and, and none of those cameras are, are, are present. So none of them would give you know any results, let alone related results, uh, for you know a particular search through through that uh, vocabulary, and therefore through any kind of documentation or products or whatever that were uh, tagged and categorized with that thesaurus. By training uh, an, an AI and, and thinking about you know a, a decently sized neural network over a, a large corpus of, of English, something like the entire, you know, corpus of Wikipedia or, you know, the GigaWords corpus or something like that, where you're very likely to encounter all kinds of words that you're not going to take the time to structure and build individual relationships between. You can very easily make the connection between uh, words that don't even appear in a controlled vocabulary to the, the most relevant uh, points within that vocabulary that, that would be natural extensions or, as you say, you know, related uh, sorts of fields um, that that would be would be plausible, and and that's you know that's been the promise of a lot of AI for a lot of years, um, and we're just starting to see the ability between the the, the sort of confluence of uh, computation power being available and uh, algorithms being tuned to you know the point where um, these things really can start to be uh, realized at scale across very many. Uh, different um, information types against very many different uh, kind of, of uh, product types or or document types and what have you. Um, it it really is. Um, we, we are at a point where that's not just something that sounds like it should be possible, but but that it's really possible. And and all of this will, I assume, dramatically improve 
uh, our ability to interact with these domains as, as an individual, even if I'm inside that domain, even if I'm a lawyer working within a legal domain of knowledge, right? It seems to me that if I just can't remember what that phrase was that I learned in law school, and now I'm having to recall it 20 years later, that these kinds of bridge elements are going to really help me get back to, because you said, right, natural language is always in motion. And so the words we use are going to constantly be changing, but the regulatory components, especially within the government context, are fairly static, right? I mean, the, the NIST is a really good example where, especially within the cybersecurity field, they have been striving to reformat some of their professional domain language into a continuous improvement cycle. And even that is a real challenge. So, you know, it's really interesting to me that the promise of all this is that whether you're in the domain or out of the domain, you're going to be able to access that domain more easily. Does that sound right? Am I, am I coming across with the right outcomes here? Yeah, I think so. And and one of the sort of benefits of, of an approach like this is that, you know, with a controlled vocabulary on one side, you know, you've, you've defined the area you want to map to um, pretty well and, and, you know, you can actually exploit the very structure of it uh, to help your training efforts. And then on the other side, the, the corpus you choose to train the AI part of this on gets to, you know, sort of be where you're going to draw those those lay people from. So if you want a very comprehensive view of English speakers, you, you take something like Wikipedia, like I mentioned before. Um, but if you're trying to help out your your lawyers within you know a, a particular field, practice or whatever, it might be you know all the decisions and cases, et cetera, that that took place between two years uh, in in a particular district or jurisdiction or or a particular topic area. Um, and and so the resulting trained uh, word embeddings that help you connect to the vocabulary are sort of hypersensitive to that particular area of law. And and the, the great thing is now you know I can take 16 million you know English full text documents and and create that training set in in a, an hour or so, test it out, see if it works you know the way that that we want it to work, and and if not, do it again with. A different, you know, corpus. It's very easy to experiment and plug and play at this point uh, with things that, even you know, just 20 years ago would have been full, you know, grad student projects over two years. You know, so so the the uh, the ability to do this sort of at speed and at scale is is fantastic now. And what are some of the factors that have changed that, Josh? Is it computational power? Is it more data being accessible and already? in a usable semi-usable format what are the big sea changes that have made that so yeah i don't i think that data availability has uh certainly you know increased but in areas that, that i've been talking about you know largely the english-speaking world large largely technical areas um i think that has uh hasn't really risen as much as what you mentioned before which is just computation just i can um, you know, go launch a uh, an AWS you know large instance and have um, you know everything I need basically for a very serious, uh, very representative uh, model of, of natural language used either in a domain or you know broad broad brush uh, across a language, and and then as I mentioned before, you know there have been in in the last five years. Uh, we, Kind of directly due to the ability to experiment with scale like that, um, some some really interesting uh, advances in in building word embeddings, in building um, what are called you know transformers that that allow you to uh, get more and more accurate pictures of of how a language works without 
you know, needing to be a linguist, essentially. So letting letting the linear algebra do your linguistics for you. That's really cool. I, you know, Adam, I don't know what you think about that, but, you know, that just it, it, there's no better example of how far we've come over the past 20 years, I think, than the functional applications of AI and ML in today's workspaces. And, and the fact that people think Siri and Alexa and Google Assistant are magic, but, you know, Josh, I think you said it best, they're just linear algebra, <laughs> right? Well, yeah, I mean, that's the, you know, the glib way to, to put it, of course. But, um, but you know, I, I mean, at the heart, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, you know, either gradient descent or um, single value decomposition going on. And, and if you do them in the right order with the right parameters, yeah, you get pretty cool stuff out the other end. Yeah, I think some of that stuff's pretty interesting as well, John. You know, you start thinking about Google's autocomplete or Siri making thoughtful selections for you, right? And and a lot of that is also based off of other data input coming from other folks, right? Things that are trending in the news, sentiment analysis for maybe even time of the day when you are choosing to search for something uh, and, and helping to probably feed some of those search criteria as well. I think it's a, a very fascinating, and even though, you know, glibly put is, you know, algebraic in nature, it's still a lot of um, kind of some clever things going on under the hood to make those search results even better based off of things that are less quantifiable, I guess. Am I saying that correctly, Josh? Does that make sense? Um, yeah, I think so. I, I think the, the they're definitely quantifiable. Unfortunately, you know, that we can't escape. Um, the the computational system that works on symbols uh, as its native data type is hasn't been invented yet. But the sort of the notion that the data can be fused from all kinds of different experiences, online experiences in the case of, you know, Google and, and the, the engines that are that are watching what you're doing on the web. But um, but but also, you know, just trying to fuse, you know, data at that very fundamental level um, from from all kinds of different inputs. Yeah, that that's that's certainly uh, an exciting area of the field. So I think here's an opportunity to say, you know, what's 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 next so so one of the things you we talked about right before the podcast as you said the the whole conversation within the government context of how do we bridge these structured dictionaries into our natural languages that we use is not well defined right now do you think there i mean obviously as we've talked about there's a lot of positive outcomes that can be generated especially in terms of usability customer experience um even even functional outcomes from from production to you know to make things happen faster because you can think about it like this if users are getting what they need out of a system more quickly then they're not going to be sitting in the system as long right and so that can reduce the amount of work that you're doing on the compute platform in order to just get a user the information they need so the government obviously is not doing a lot of this right now at least not from what you've described to me where do you think you know, they should be thinking broadly speaking, right? If if you were going to tell the White House or, or the or the federal CIO something, what would you say to help move the conversation forward? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really within that interface with the public. You know, when, when you're requiring the public to make choices from your controlled vocabulary in order to file information, in order to find information, in order to um, you know, participate with a with a government program. You know, the the public is coming to this experience with their own language, their own natural language, and and probably you know quite 
lay person language, and the government is coming to it with uh, a, a long history and momentum of, of a controlled vocabulary or a controlled set of categories or you know whatever it might be. And so really bridging that gap, I think, uh, is, is, is a really important one. And then I, I think even just within government and between departments, um, I, I mentioned, you know, both NASA and the Defense Technical Information Center have roughly the same sized technical vocabularies. And, and obviously their concerns are somewhat different, but they both launch vehicles into space. They both do lots of material uh, science. They both do, you know, lots of human factor science. Um, having the ability to bridge between large bodies of research that have been tagged with either one or the other of those thesauri uh, and automatically kind of make the connections to say, yeah, this research probably applies to what I'm doing over here, even though we're describing it in quite different terms with a different structure and, and such. Um, you know, that that sort of interdepartmental uh, connection, I, I think, could be another very important use. I, I can't think of a, a better way to, to, to so, you know, close up today other than to say, there you go. Folks, if you're listening to the DevCast, uh, Josh just kind of laid out the plan for how the government can make AI and ML a functional part of customer experience, government service delivery, even fusing research bodies together. So, uh, I, Josh, uh, you know, I really appreciate the the perspective. Adam, what do you think? Uh, I think it's a great place to end it. Josh, definitely really appreciate the insight. Uh, I think it was uh, a fun and great conversation. I, I know I learned a lot and uh, looking forward to having you on again to, to chat more about some of uh, the interesting artificial intelligence and machine learning topics um, you can share with us. Great. Uh, love to love to do so. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, next time we're going to have to talk about symbolic and sub-symbolic representations. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming, Josh. Thank you.